Hey, welcome to Girls Who Smoked, a podcast about recovery. My name is Janera. I am an addict, and this is a lot. The purpose of this podcast is not to be anything other than what I am, but to truly spread the message of recovery, strength, and hopefully hope. This is a black queer them run podcast. It is mostly set to be with guests, uh, all in recovery, or if they're not in recovery, there's a specific reason I have them there. They say like no matter how far that you've gone or like where you are, you can always provide strength and hope to someone else. You don't have to have 30 years in order to provide strength and hope. And um, I don't. So this is where I am. Thank you all both for coming here. Uh, welcome to Girls Who Smoked, a podcast about recovery. Um, today we're talking about relationships and recovery, both with other people, ourselves, sex, sexuality, all of the above. And today I have my friend Sarah and Shelby to talk to me about that. Thank you so much for coming. Hi, yeah, thank you for having yeah. us. It's an honor. Of course. Uh, so to start off, why don't you t- each tell me a bit about yourself? Maybe you can rock, paper, scissors to see who goes first. Uh, but I'm curious about your name, uh, how long you've been in recovery, kind of what brings you joy? Because, you know, previously often it was like drugs, but like what brings you joy now? And a bit about your relationship status right now. Cool. Uh, is that you going or not going? I know. I was like, good thing we have videos so we can figure this out. All right, I'll hop in. Hey, everyone. I'm Sarah. Uh, I am a grateful recovering sober stoner, which is my favorite term to identify with because I am still very much a stoner in humor and thinking, but I'm very grateful to be sober a year, five months, and a handful of days where I'm currently at, Woo! which is amazing. Um, and I am married, happily married. I uh, got married right before quarantine hit, actually, September 14th, 2019. Uh, I've been with my partner almost six years now, um, and huge, huge support and uh, reason that I decided to finally choose the sobriety path. Um, so my husband is a huge source of joy for me, and being sober is a huge source of joy, um, because now I can be present in my relationship, present with myself, and more present to all kinds of things that bring me joy. Um, so yeah, I, I think I answered all your questions. Um, but I'm really excited to be here and kind of dig, dig into this topic. Awesome. Well, Sarah, great to see you, hear from you, you too, Janera. Um, I'm Shelby and I have, I mean, in terms of how long we've been in recovery, I have been in and out for years, but most recently um, sober from marijuana for 437 days, one year, two months, and 12 days. Yeah. Super grateful for that. And thanks to both of you for helping me on this journey. Um, In terms of my relationship status, I am happily in a relationship that started during COVID in July. Um, I think at that point I was probably like six or seven months sober. Um, So definitely like cross addicted with bad relationship decisions before that. But, um, and currently now living with my boyfriend and pregnant with our baby. (laughs) So I just 
look at my phone to be like, how sober am I? And how many weeks pregnant am I? Everything <laughs> about me lives in my phone. So without that's this, amazing. I know who I was. Um, 18 weeks in four days pregnant. Um, and thank God, because that's a really big reason too to stay sober. So um, what brings me joy? Well, now very simple things, sitting, laying with my dog, my Great Dane puppy, um, going for a walk with my man, uh, listening to a podcast and folding laundry. I mean, little simple things now that I can, you know, look for the joy in everything, even like the sun being out. So which always used to be a reason to go smoke weed. So here I am. I'm super grateful to be here and can't wait to do this. Good. I'm so, I'm so happy for you. And I'm so happy you mentioned you were pregnant because I wasn't going to say it, but I'm glad glad that you, that's so exciting. I I can post this online. I mean, you can, but I'm not going to share it with Mm -hmm. any of my friends till I'm like out on Instagram or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. That makes what I said all. Yeah. I saw you had posted on Facebook about like, having my dinner and you're full. like yeah, my belly's full and someone's like what and I'm like, <laughs> I, I laugh like, so hard yeah. actually my yoga classes I've been teaching I've been so like insecure about my belly like hanging out of my yoga pants so I've told them like I it's not just the COVID-20 so <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's great and like a beautiful gift of recovery and I think it's also worth mentioning that we're all very involved in each other's recovery um, journeys. Mm -hmm. Like you two especially (laughs) have been like huge parts of my recovery as we all got sober in the same city, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. And that's kind of how we met. So the first question, relationships as a whole are pretty tricky, but they're even more Mm -hmm. tricky in recovery. Uh, Everyone has a different opinion on it. One thing I've heard a lot in recovery circles is that you shouldn't date or enter a new relationship until you've been sober for at least a year. Uh, What do you think about that? Why do people say this? What's your take on it? Well, I guess I'll go first because I didn't follow that rule. But... (laughs) That's not to say you should follow my rules. Um, I don't know. I like this thing my sponsor talks about. She's like, well, yeah, when you jump out of a plane, they like recommend you open up your parachute, but it's just a recommendation. And it's like, yeah, sometimes you should definitely follow recommendations because they help you survive. I definitely think that's a good one. Um, We also talk a lot about like having your own journey and identifying like you. Now, I think what's hard is like when you're first in recovery, you can't trust yourself. And that's definitely what I found was I was still like doing stupid things. And like my addiction was showing up in like the men I was dating at first. And like, I for sure saw this one situation I was in was like literally a reflection of my addiction. I kept going back to this guy who was like terrible, made me feel like shit. And yes, while it was like happening, you know, when we were sexual, when we were like hanging out, there was like this high, but afterwards I felt awful, like hungover and drained. And I kept going back. Um, and so I saw, like, I literally wrote this poem about it and it was all about like, you're now my drug. Like, what am I doing? Um, I am lucky to like, I don't know what the secret sauce was, but like, 
I just started to get more into recovery and I, I did a lot of work outside of recovery. I went to, on retreats. Janera, you are part of like this woman's retreat um, or maybe it wasn't a woman's retreat, but something like to that extent of just, and everything relates to recovery, just like getting better with yourself and finding more integrity with your decisions. And so through all of this work, recovery, retreats, meditation, yoga, journaling, I just got more in tune with myself and what I deserved. And it was so apparent that what I was doing, you know, outside of that, like with this dude, for example, was not, you know, treating myself right. Um, And so as I got more in love with myself and started to get my integrity back, I actually could use my sobriety as a gauge to help me understand who was going to be the right fit for me. So someone who was like super supportive and understanding. And like when I was first in recovery back in, you know, a few years ago, it was something I was super ashamed of and hid. And now when I did it this time, um, it was something I was like very open about. And the man I'm with now I mean, never blinked an eye, was super supportive. Every time I had a meeting, he'd be like, okay, cool. Like, and it was just so relieving. And it was such a like sign that this was the right step. Um, And so long story short, like, yes, it's a great recommendation if you can follow it. I personally thought like I was 36 years old. I'm getting older. Like I know recovery comes first. But this is such an important part of what I want to also end up with, like my life with someone, a partner who gets me, who understands me, and I'm getting older, that I really wasn't willing to put that on pause. That's so incredible. I had to mute myself because I was just mm-hmm, along with everything that Shelby said and like giving you snaps. Um, you, I think you totally nailed it, um, Shelby. That's really incredible. Um Yeah, absolutely. Like for me, one of the important things that that you highlighted is that, of course, everyone's journey is individual, right? And we all have to make the decisions that um, feel aligned with our, with ourselves and with our integrity. And I love that you talked about that. That's a huge thing that we're learning what that is when we're early in recovery. And that's absolutely why I think that that suggestion exists within uh, recovery programs and why that's encouraged. Because like you said, you can't trust yourself when you're new to recovery. You're learning what it means to act with integrity, what's best for you, how to love yourself, how to build that self-respect and self-trust. And those are all really important pillars in relationships. Um, And the way that I think about it is you're repairing that relationship with yourself and you're falling in love with yourself. And all of, for myself, myself and my like romantic journey, I've always been a serial monogamous is the term I like to use. Like I was in long-term relationships from like, 16 years old to like early 30s until I finally went, whoa, 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 I need to like stop pouring all of this love into other people and pour it into myself. And that really was the beginning of my recovery journey, even though I I used for a couple more years uh, after that. Um, But it was my longest period of like being single and being on my own before I met my husband. And that's the reason why I was ready for that relationship that was worthy of me. um, And that I was in a place where I was then worthy of him. Uh, I could be a true partner because I had poured that love into myself. But I think that that's what early recovery is all about. Um, and for, for my journey, obviously, I was already married. I was already in a committed relationship. You know, we weren't going to stop being intimate. We weren't going to, like, stop being together. So that wasn't really ever a, um, a suggestion that was, like, in play. 
for me, uh, but it certainly did change a lot about our relationship and led to a lot of really powerful conversations around, um, for me, it made me reckon with the fact that a lot of my intimate history and a lot of my sexual experience had been really centered around being intoxicated, that most of the sex that I had had up until that point, there was a drink involved or being high or because that was just a part of like my social life and how I would unwind. And um, my husband is the first partner I've ever had who wasn't a stoner buddy. All of my previous boyfriends um, were people that I got high with all the time. So that was huge that that wasn't a part of our relationship. So that wasn't something we had to navigate. It was kind of in a way, a big wake up call for me that I was the one just like essentially getting high on my own. Um, you know, and he drinks and, and that's absolutely fine. Like we both have what works for us, but like something that I've learned for him, from him that I'm really grateful for, um, is that he's someone who has a lot of self-discipline and has a lot of like sort of rules in place for himself. And when we first met, I would tease him because I was like, I don't have rules for myself. I would never follow rules I made for myself. I'm the first one to let myself off the hook. Um, so that's something that I've learned to like really love is like knowing what my boundaries are and being able to talk with my partner about them. Um, and yeah, so I think that it's a, like being in recovery has allowed me to embrace my previous history and then just be more present and invested in those intimate parts of the partnership that I'm in now, which is a huge, huge blessing. I want to say too, Sarah, you've said this before, actually, when you shared on a meeting recently, and it's something that I I share that too, where, you know, and I've seen, you know, posts about your husband and your beautiful relationship and like how, like that also helps because you've seen the growth and how much like it has transformed into a beautiful, better relationship right. than maybe it was. Yeah. And for me too, like, I've always been sober with my man and I'm terrified of like, I mean, I have these thoughts of like, mm -hmm. how, how I, if I did smoke, would he know? Because he only knows me sober and how would I hide it? And it's a really big motivation to stay sober because I've created such a beautiful thing that I don't want to ruin. Absolutely. I relate to that so much. Um, when we got married and I had like actually made a vow to another person, like part of our vows were, you know, what's really important to me now of like, I, I promise to show up every day as my best self or to strive to be my best self, you know, even on days that I'm a mess. And it just really, really hit me as soon as we came home after our wedding of like, I made this promise to another human being that I love and treasure and respect so much. And even if I didn't fully have that for myself yet, I was like, he deserves that. And I can't keep making the same choices because now I've made a promise to my family and we want that family to grow. Mm -hmm. And I all of a sudden could start to that wonderful phrase that we use in recovery of like play the tape forward. I started to see mm -hmm. how I wanted my life to go forward. And I knew that if I kept making the same choices, exactly what you said, Shelby, that I was going to be risking losing that. Um, and that was a huge wake up call for me. Yeah. You guys bring up like so many, like so many topics. It's like kind of like a, a whole whirlwind. So like, it's great. Uh, I really liked when you were talking about how your relationships both to yourself and relationships with others have changed. So maybe kind of what are kind of the highlights there? Like, did your, is it more boundaries or your standards with yourself or others? Or is it more self-love, respect, trust, or all of the above? <laughs> what has shifted for you? 
Well, I like this saying I heard an acronym for love, which is letting others voluntarily evolve. And Ooh. Ooh, I, like that. <laughs> I, for one, recognize like my perfectionism and my expectations for myself and others and like the almost like rage and or like complete just like disownment if you didn't follow my rules, my lane. Like I just felt I was always right. And I mean, I've, I remember back of relationships where like, people would say like, you always have to be right, Shelby. And giving myself the space and grace to be coachable and learn in this program has taught me to like give others the space and grace to like evolve into what they're evolving and like love. I mean, um, what's her face from Glennon Doyle's Untamed talks about how like the opposite of love is control. And like, we learn so much in our program that we have no control and there's power in that. And I think when you allow others the room and space and not try to control them, love evolves. And that's been a big lesson for me in my relationships. I had to stop and write that quote down. That's beautiful. <laughs> and you know, it gets me hot when we start talking about Glennon. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> over, <laughs> Glennon over, queen over here. Um, yeah, that's so powerful. The opposite of love is control. Well, it's for me, it's been really powerful to, again, like be able to reflect back on my past relationships and see how much control was involved. And because I was in like deep with it, with an addiction and was constantly ashamed and trying to hide it, even in relationships with people that smoke weed, I was constantly like performing a version of myself. And so to be able to truly take that mask off, to truly like stand in, this is who I am, even the parts that I am still growing through and loving myself through that I am maybe still feel shame and guilt around, like to be able to embrace all of that and bring that to a partnership, like that's what makes it an actual partnership is both people standing in their, the truth of who they are with one another and then deciding to walk through a journey together and like loving and accepting all of that. Um, and I think you hit on something super important, Shelby, that we, as people who are in recovery programs, it's all about learning, um, how, learning how to grow, self-reflection, um, and being coachable. And I love that not only does it put me in that state of mind, but then I bring those conversations home to my husband, and then we have conversations around that. It causes him to reflect. And so I know for a fact that my healing and recovery has um, been like a ripple effect for healing for him as well. Um, and that strengthened our partnership on both sides. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting you said like you bring the lessons home to your husband because I've brought my boyfriend over to a meeting one time for my one year anniversary. And after mm -hmm. I asked like, how do you, you know, how did it, like, what did you think of it? And he was like, it's almost like church. It's like so yeah. you know, humbling and like spiritual and, you know, people are speaking about their good times and their bad. And I mean, he, you know, he kind of could see the benefit of that and it wasn't like awkward or weird. And you know how, I mean, I was a little nervous of bringing like a normie mm -hmm. to <laughs> our meeting and he saw the benefits right away. That's so beautiful. So sweet. I'm thinking, yeah. well, oh, sorry, please, Janara. Oh, no, go ahead. 
Well, I'm thinking about my other favorite one quote from Untamed is uh, talking about one of her early recovery experiences where she goes into realizing for the first time that like feelings are meant to be felt, mm-hmm. that bad feelings or feelings that don't feel good, the, the, we're not supposed to just push those down and try to escape them, which any addict can relate to, right? Like we all use because we were trying to find relief and we were trying to find a good feeling and escape from the bad ones. And that she realized early on in her recovery that it's like, no, feelings are meant to be felt. And so now I have this understanding and I'm doing the work of like riding the waves of my feelings. And so when my husband and I do get in fights or we do get in disagreements, like I in past relationships would have just like lashed out, said mean things. It would have like, you know, made the fight worse. But now I know that I'm like, okay, my work, this is not about you. This is about me. And my work is like, I need to go away and probably just like sit and breathe for a little bit, meditate, maybe do some rage on the page writing, call a friend. Like I need to go deal with my stuff and not throw it all over you and hurt you because I don't want to do that. And then come back later. So like, I just know how to manage myself more. And I understand that like feelings are like a wave and I'm going to, I can write it out. I'm going to come down the other side. I don't have to like make, cause more damage. I can just be with myself and ride the ride. And then my partner will be there to like, give me a hug. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it sounds like it just being in recovery, just, no matter like what capacity that is, whether it's 12 step group or whether it's a retreat or yoga or just all of this self work just makes you a more well-rounded person and therefore a better partner. Um, Not so much like, Oh, like now I can handle relationships or now I can like this, you have to get somewhere so much as you're just such a more complete person that it just is more wholesome and not easier, but more like self-awareness. Mm. And that I think, like, first of all, I love rage on a page. But like, <laughs> get yeah, that on a t-shirt. I used to think fights like end of the world, done. Like, totally. Like, you know, whether it was like, shit, I'm fucked up. Can I curse? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm the worst. This is the yeah. end of us. Like, you know, whether it's a friend, a family member, or like they're the worst. I'm done with them. But right. to your point, like, it's all part of the process. Like, that sometimes a fight, if it's, like, fought well, can yeah. actually right. be, like, what makes your relationship grow and be better. It reminds me of that episode of The Office where Pam was like, I want to fight. And it just, I don't know, I just thought of that and now I can't stop laughing. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. It's cool. Like, it's a, it can be, yeah. I love that you said fought well. Like, it's a cool conversation and sometimes uh, like just because you like it's hard and you have to like feel things that maybe don't feel great it doesn't mean that it's not useful and and isn't what you need and what your relationship needs to grow I love that absolutely kind of going off of that how is it hard to date a normie (laughs) like like, did you (laughs) so just blanket normie is like someone who can somehow use substances and not abuse them i don't get how that works um but is, how do you kind of broach that topic uh like shelby you mentioned you both mentioned you have really supportive partners and like you've taken them to meetings etc but how do you kind of 
approach and navigate that within your recovery with a norm a normal person. <laughs> a normie. I can definitely <laughs> one of those weirdos. Yeah. I can definitely say that I stopped myself from telling my husband how I felt about them for probably a good year because I didn't think that I could date a normie because I didn't one I the, the negative story that was in my head was just like I'm not good enough for him right so like I thought oh I couldn't date him because I was like I don't want to date someone who doesn't smoke because that's like you know obviously my favorite thing to do in the world and that's my hobby so if he's not down with that, then that's not going to work for me. But underneath that, the really like painful thing was I didn't think that I was worthy of him and that he was too good for me. Um, and that I wouldn't be able to like hold down that relationship. And so there was a little bit of relief when we did start dating. And I, I think the key to one, me walking down the path of recovery and having him as a partner was I was very open about and I had never done this before I was very open about smoking and that that was something that I did. And I started to like talk to him about my history, which made me realize things about it that I had never really talked about before. Um, but even though he didn't really smoke, he was like, cool that I, that I did it. And um, at the time in our early dating life, I was like, okay, awesome. Cool. I can smoke around you and it's not a big deal. Um, and as we like move forward in the relationship, I think just having that barometer of like his norminess, kind of helped shit like it was an invitation for me to like get curious about oh okay so like if this is typical behavior like me wanting to like hit the vape pen first thing in the morning and then like go about my life and that makes me feel quote-unquote normal maybe that's not normal and maybe I can live life a different way and I think the beautiful thing I'm very grateful that like he never like pressured me. We never had like a um, intervention situation, but that's also because I was really good at hiding how much I smoked weed. Like, and especially once I discovered the vape pen, that's like a stoner's dream. It's like you could just hit it and no one would really know. And for me, getting high was what made me felt feel normal. So I could like maintain pretty well. And nobody really knew, including my husband, like how deep in I was and how spiritually bankrupt I was until until I like literally the last day I smoked, I like pulled all of my stuff out and I was like, you need to go throw away my stash. I need help. I can't do this alone. Like you need to go throw this away because if I know where it is, my addict self will go find it when I get super desperate. And like, I never would have been able to ask for help and ask him to like help me do that dirty work of like first day of getting clean if we didn't have that just like trust and understanding and um like no judgment. He never judged me. So I think that's not maybe not not typical of all normies. Uh, but my normie never judged me. So I feel very grateful for that. <laughs> you know, take care of your normie. They're yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I like what you said about the barometer because like I think, you know, I I don't know if like my boyfriend smoked weed if that would be different. There's a difference between how I feel about drinking and smoking. Smoking is my demise. Um, But I have friends that smoke normally that like hit the vape pen before they go to bed. And that is like, is something I can't comprehend. But to your point about like seeing what someone like who uses in a healthy functional way 
is like, oh no, I need that before I get up and brush my teeth. Like I don't have any interaction. Like why would I do anything without getting high? Wash the dishes, fold the laundry, go for a walk, talk to a friend, call my family. Like everything was a reason to get high. So seeing someone who could like, you know, what in whatever relationship I had use normally was like, whoa, I have a problem. And then something you had mentioned, Janeiro, was like, you know, whether it's recovery or yoga or meditation or therapy or the combination of all of that, it makes us better people and more self-aware. And my boyfriend is like an incredibly spiritual, like, you know, religious, um, open, he goes to therapy. And so like that is something that, you know, it's almost a a recovery in Mm -hmm. itself. So like he's, if he kind of wasn't, was, I think I've met people who like, don't think they have room to grow and improve. And that ego is really tough, especially for someone in recovery, because all we know every day that we learn is like, perfection or uh, progress, not perfection, like we always have more room. And so I mean, I think just like having someone who's like on a similar journey, but different, you know, is super helpful. Um, and that understanding thing. I mean, like I said, I mean, if this dude was like smoking weed in the house, you know, even once, twice, I, I don't know how I would react. I hear people talk about like their significant others are still big users or they're addicts. And I'm just like, holy hell, how do you do that? I'm, I don't know how I would, to be very honest, like I wouldn't, I don't know how I would be able to still have my recovery if that was my case. Um, but like for me, the like, you know, scene of drinking and like someone getting hammered and wasted is I am so turned off and it makes me nervous. Like I, I, you know, that's something like, I don't want that. Like, hell no. But like, a big ass bong hit, sign me up. So there's just like a big difference too, I think in like, you know, and hey, he takes CBD at night. It doesn't quite bother me. Um, It's not like he's taking it like all day long to function. Um, So yeah, I, I guess like, I don't know if I have like the total like per scene to kind of measure that, but yeah. Yeah. Do you have um I'm thinking about in general like like friendships with people who use so I think there's there's different my understanding is there's different lines there's there's normies who sometimes engage with these substances there's people in recovery who once did them and then there's people who are in denial (laughs) so do you or like not maybe not in denial so much as like they want to get fucked up every day and that's how they're going to live their life and they have no interest in changing it like go off um do you people in your circle who do you kind of keep in like when you obviously when you first got sober the people you were friends with were people who got fucked up with you the people who could mm-hmm. who could hang so so to speak so how did you kind of navigate that transition mm-hmm. to relationships with people and where does your social circle social circle kind of fall now yeah, I actually, I really love that you asked that because I was sort of thinking about, um, it, Shelby, since you brought up like people who are able to smoke and, or what well, you both said, like they're able to, to use and, and have it not be an issue. 
um, so that they can function normally. And some of my, some of my still closest friends fall into that category. And I think actually for me, some of the most challenging uh, conversations that I've had in terms of like telling people that I'm sober, especially uh, that I don't smoke weed anymore and that I consider myself a marijuana addict. Some of the most challenging conversations I've had to navigate in friendships and relationships are people who smoke weed, but they don't have a problem with it. Because uh, in my experience, it feels like by me saying, hey, I'm an addict, I don't smoke anymore, that it's sort of there's a perceived judgment. There's a perceived, okay, we're not going to be able to hang out the same way. Am I going to be able to smoke around you? I'm very grateful that the friends that are still in my life that smoke are like so supportive and were so open. And I was able to like really have like heart to heart combos and they were asking really supportive questions like, okay, like, well, what do you need from us? Should we like not partake when we're around you? And when I first got sober, that was like a request that I made of them. Um, but now I can be around them and they can hit the base head and it's actually fine for me, which is like a freaking miracle because um, as someone who is not a normie, when we would smoke together, I'm over here. My stoner ass was getting frustrated that they're not packing the bowl and passing it around again. I'm like, you guys, we just hit it once. Like I, so then I would go into the spiral. Like that's how I knew that I was the one with the problem and not them because they're hitting it once and having a grand time. And I'm like, why are we not getting more fucked up? Like, what are we even doing here? Um, so that was always a good kind of barometer to check in. And, and I would, I would tell them that I would like, now that I'm sober, I'd be like, here's the difference between you and me. Like, this is what was going on for you. This is what was going on for me. And just to sort of like highlight that for them. I'm not, I don't think that you have a problem. You don't think that you have a problem. In fact, you actually really, really enjoy, and this is a great tool for you. Um, and that's awesome. Like you do you. So, um, there are, there are a handful of people in my life, um, like family members and, and people that I'm close to that do smoke a lot of weed. And I really try to just sit in a place of like, my journey is not your journey. I can't pretend to know what your journey is. Um, and again, like I know for me that how serious my addiction was, was known only to me. It wasn't known to other people. Um, and I think that was actually another part that made telling a lot of people I'm close to difficult because a lot of them were like, you're an addict, but like you have like your life together and you're so like bubbly and like you seem like you're fine. Like people didn't believe me, which I don't know if that it is a problem that a lot of people have, but I had to kind of like prove my addictness to certain people that I'm close to, which was like a very weird conversation to have. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think that every relationship is different and people either are in love with you as your best self or they're in love with the you that you used to be and whichever one they decide they want to get on board with, like that dictates where the relationship is going to go. And I love the me now. So I know I'm going this way and I would love to have all the people I love to come along. But if they don't, then I can't control people, places and things. That's what I've learned. <laughs> <in recovery. laughs> Boom. Big segue. I wrote like, I was like, I need to like write this down. It's, for me, I think control and the why. So then I think we talk about like the difference between being sober and being in recovery. Yeah. And yeah. I think it kind of reminds me of like when I became vegetarian and the reason, <laughs> like when I first became vegetarian, I came back from this like retreat that kind of like 
for lack of a better word, I guess convinced, I was going to say brainwashed, <laughs> I was like, convinced me of why it would be good to be vegetarian. And then I was like, you know, came in hot and like was judging other people for not being vegetarian. But like, the, then it was like my reasoning behind becoming it wasn't then what you know wasn't fully me if I'm still worried about what other people are doing and I feel like I hear a lot of like people who are sober from their substance but then have a lot of animosity or like you know angst towards other people still doing it and like I get being triggered by it around you but like I think when you're you know recovered and really getting that you know, recovery and growth, what other you realize about control, I have no control over what other people do. And you're just so on your path and journey that, you know, yes, things affect you, but like, they affect you less. And if you're recovering for you and not other people, I think like what other people are doing is less concerning to you. Um, I will say that being in recovery, helps you notice people's habits and make sure mm-hmm. you're aware of I mean I have friends and you know my boyfriend he has a drink every day for dinner and you know I, I notice things and it's like mm-hmm. I'm more hyper aware and of like the denial thing I think you brought up Janera and it's like that's their journey when they're ready. If they want to hear about it and they want to talk about it, I'm here, but I guess it's, it's not my business and it's not my duty to call out other people for what I see, but it does make your lens more clear, less smoky. It's definitely a balance between not taking someone else's, else's inventory and and also being like, damn, you really do be drinking every day. <laughs> like, like, kind of like trying to find that balance and not seek that control. I think that's a really good, good point and a hard thing. Did you find that you lost friends when you got sober, or was it that most of them were pretty supportive? Because I know I personally lost everyone and everything I thought I valued and cared about. And there was just a lot of transition and a lot of pain. And like, it was just, just, just awful. And like, now I recognize it's because um, I had to grow and the people that I was associating with weren't on the growth mindset that we've talked about. Um, But what was your experience kind of with seeking recovery first above preserving long-term relationships? I mean, for me personally, like I got sober like two months before COVID hit. So I think a lot of my friends maybe are gone because of COVID and not recovery. But I mean, for me, no, my life really didn't change in terms of my friend group a lot. Um, I have like really, I've been blessed with just like really, really strong relationships. Um, I've got like five best friends and like, you know, they've been there for me throughout. Um, I do think though, it can really like put that line. And I think people, and I don't want to like speak for others, but people you lose because you're bettering yourself perhaps weren't good for you in the first place. Speak on it. 
Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I was like, I said what I had to say. <laughs> I said it. Um, yeah, well, Janet, I'm, re- I'm really happy that you, you know, that you honored and shared your journey. And I'm, that's one of the things that I've always really admired um, as someone who's in recovery with you as your sober sister, just your resilience and your strength and navigating all of the change that really hit you like a tidal wave when you first came into recovery. And um, I think something that I've learned is the strongest thing that we can do since we don't have control is just be the example for other people. And exactly if people want to grow with us, they'll grow with us. And if they, if they don't, they don't. And um, I think it does make it a lot, not less painful, but more simple to understand that we're on the path that we need to be on and that we can let them go. And, um, and also knowing that if relationships ebb and flow and change, and if there's a path for them to come back in their lives, or back into our lives, and then that can also happen. Um, so I think being in recovery just allows us to give people more grace and more acceptance. And, um, you know, one of the other pillars of wisdom that we talk about a lot is Brene Brown, another like sober queen. And she talks about, um, you know, basically everyone is doing the best that they can with the tools that they have. And being in recovery has allowed me to realize that some people just don't have the tools. Everyone is doing their best, but that doesn't mean that their best isn't good. Like their best can still suck, but I can forgive them and and have acceptance of like, okay, based on like the emotional awareness and the tools and the growth that you have put the work in on. I mean, I think that's the other thing is doing the work makes you realize how like this is really hard work and a lot of people aren't willing to do it. Um, And so it just kind of allows me to give people more grace. Um, And I'm not perfect. Like sometimes judgment comes up, but you know, always trying to err on the side of grace and not sitting in judgment towards other people on their journey and really stay focused on mine. Um, but in, I, I echo that for me, a lot of um, the relationships that weren't going to stick around once I got sober were already kind of fading out. Um, and I had just moved like relocated a year before I got sober and, um, and then COVID hit. So like there was kind of just a natural um, ebb and flow in my life of certain people not being a part of it. Um, and so I've been very, very grateful that there were a couple of relationships that I was scared about how it was going to change things. But across the board, um, it's really honestly shown like who the people that like really love me for me are in terms of how they've responded to me um, sharing, sharing this new journey. So for sure. Yeah. One other thing I want to point out is, and you'd mentioned like the vape pen and like, mm-hmm. that was my demise. And I smoked, I mean, one of my friends smoked the way I smoked. So I did a lot of it by myself. And so yeah. like my best friend was like me and my vape pen. And so now that I'm not smoking at all and not smoking all day, every day, I'm able to show up for my friends and see more clearly like the relationships that I should nourish that maybe I wasn't previously. Beautiful. Yeah. What have you learned about being not a good person, but being a good friend, a good partner, a good, um, just a good person of society uh, throughout your recovery. Um, I ask because it's recovery is such a transformative process uh, one day at a time and it like doesn't end. And I feel like every day I blink and I've learned something new. Uh, so what most recently mm-hmm. have you learned about either 
loving yourself or loving others, which I think they're intertwined, right? Because when you love yourself, you can show up more for others. I would just say simply, it's not that hard. <laughs> you, it's being present, but with using every day, all day, it is difficult. And so you learn that it's not, I mean, I remember like getting sober and like seriously, and I say this sometimes on meetings, like everything was new to me. It was like being born again and being a baby and like going down to my lobby and seeing my doorman was different. And I like saw him and I'd say hi and I meant it. And how are you? And we chat like it's simple when the cloud is and you like, People are amazing. I mean, some people <laughs> suck, but like even, then, even that is like, uh, like in sobriety, I feel like you're like, oh man, he, he needs, he needs the 12 steps or like, you know, like it's just not that hard. You just naturally, I think are learning that underneath all the shit and like societal pressures and like this and that, and like, it's just this basis of spirituality and like being mm-hmm. a good person and like, you kind of learn it's fun to just show up and simple things are like amazing. And it's really about being present and it's pretty simple, but it's really hard with substance abuse, you know, throughout your life. I love everything that you said. I mean, that's exactly it, right? Like we say in the program that our program is not easy, but it is simple. (laughs) And I think that is just the mantra for life. It's not easy. There are challenges there is injustice, there's fear, there's pain, there are all these things in the world, but we can simply show up, be present and engage with it. Um, and you, something that uh, sparked for me, Janera, when you were asking like, you know, how, how are we find like, how are we being good people now that we're in recovery, but just like being useful, mm-hmm. being like being useful and being of service. I, I am so in love that that is a pillar of recovery because that was not something I ever really thought about before. How can I be of service? Like, yes, I was a good friend. Um, I was a teacher. So I would, you know, I cared about my students, like all I was doing that in my life, but I wasn't thinking about, it always had kind of a means to an end for me. Like I was still looking through a very selfish lens. Um, and because my priority was like escaping at some point during the day and getting high, I was never fully present for those things. So even the moments that I had, that were really incredible where I was able to help someone or I saw their growth or I could be like be there for them. It was still cheapened in a way because one, I probably smoked it away at the end of the night or um, I was, I was, I wasn't bringing my full self. And so I think that's the biggest thing is like, I know that the greatest gift that I can give myself to another person to the world is just to show up fully, even on days that I'm a mess, even when I don't feel like I'm at my best. Um, and looking every day, thinking about how I can be a service to someone, just, you know, sending, sending a text, sending some like love and encouragement, um, how I can help out a student, how I can be kind to a neighbor. I love like connecting with your, connecting with your doorman. It's like, there is always a way for you to like be the light and brighten brighten someone else's day. And that could not be more the opposite than how I thought about things before. Cause I was constantly trying to like hide and like shrink myself and, and sneak away. And mm-hmm. um, for me, it has a lot to do. Like responsibility is really big now. I think like a big, I was so terrified of responsibility when I was using. 
uh, because I didn't trust myself. So like, how could I trust that I would be able to be responsible? And now I see so much like honor and integrity and like, I have the honor of responsibility. Like I trust myself, other people trust me enough. Um, and so like being a service, being responsible, being present, um, like, I know that I was a good person before, like I had a good heart and I was kind, but now I can actually use, use my good mm-hmm. for good, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> the best way I can put it. No, yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> I don't have words, it's really good, <laughs> a very uh, perceptive and integrity, your outsides match your insides. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Again, Glennon, that, that one is just my favorite. If I ever met Glennon Doyle, I think I cried. She liked one of my tweets, my Instagram posts once, and I and I did. Oh, cry. <laughs> it was I oh. tagged her. You basically know her. I'm telling oh you, if God. I ever meet her, I'll Janera, cry. have her on the podcast. I'll cry. I'll be have like, her on the podcast. She'll do it. I think That's I can. Glennon Doyle. Okay, we're just we're just gonna like take a moment to manifest Glennon Doyle on your up. podcast. I don't know. I I don't think that she's supposed to be. I'm pretty sure she's talked about like drugs and alcohol being her thing. We'll just, but like, mm, we'll get Glennon Doyle one day. We're gonna meet Glennon. We're gonna start a Glennon Doyle fan club. She wants to talk. I to literally us. love her. Okay. She like like this past summer. She had like we obviously everyone was reading Untamed, and I heard she was like jumping into virtual book clubs, yeah. like randomly. She responds to like DMs and stuff. So, especially like yeah, we'll get her. It'll be good. Oh. Also, how did I not know about your Untamed book club? <laughs> I know we talked about the book all the time. I missed the party. Oh, my God. Yeah, I have a problem with those, actually. I know, I buy it to people. I think I... Dang. We can have, have another it. one. It's a good thing to read. I just pulled it off to read it. Honestly, Recovery Icon. I stand and yeah, love her. I need to reread it, too. Um, I guess the last thing is just... Um, Seriously. If you um, could give any advice to a past you about this topic... Relationships mm. with yourself and others. What would it be? Like, what would you tell yourself? That you matter. You deserve to feel good. Like, it's really simple. Like, you deserve to feel mm. good. You deserve to be loved. It's not supposed to be hard. Like, mm. that's one of the most powerful things that my dad ever said to me. My last relationship, we like broke up, got back together, broke up, got back together. And it was like always a lot of drama and it was a lot of up and down. And I just remember one day, my dad, my parents have been married for like almost 50 years now and they're like best friends. And it's like an amazing example to have. And my dad just like very simply one day was like, it's not supposed to be this hard. Like life is hard. You're out there trying to like build yourself and build your career and like make your way in a new city. You shouldn't have to like come home and have this be so hard. And that was like a freaking rev- like revelation to me. I was like, what do you mean it's not supposed to be hard? But then I looked at my parents and I was like, oh, like they've had to deal with a lot of hard things in their life, but their relationship is not hard. It's simple. And when I met my husband, I finally realized like, oh, like this is the easiest yes ever. It's just, it's simple. And I know that you're the person I'm always going to want to solve problems with. Um but I had to get that right with myself first. Like I used to always, and I, I think this is really common, like especially for women, like, cause this is what we're sold, right? Like I really felt like I needed someone to like quote unquote complete me or that I wasn't going to be full until I 
had like a partner that made me full. And so I always was putting my self-worth and my like, yeah, my self-worth, like I needed other people to affirm me and to make me feel like valid and worthy. And I think that's what I would say to my past self is like, you are enough. You matter. You have everything inside of you right now to do everything that you want to do in life, to have all the love that you want to have. And that when I think of like my lowest moments when I was using and just in the pits of despair, that's what I didn't believe. I didn't believe that I deserved that. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I love that. I love what you said about how your parents like, they deal with hard things. Life is hard, but their relationship is easy. And that if you can solve problems together easily, those hard things will be less hard. Yeah. Um, I love that. Um, I mean, simplicity. Like, I think I used to think like the wild and crazy stuff was who I was and I needed to stand out and, you know, boring and settling into a mm-hmm. relationship was like definitely like selling out and that's not me and you know I have a friend who like kind of said you know we're going in different directions and we've had some challenges and she said to me you know we're our lives are just going in completely opposite directions and I understood where she's coming from because the old me would look at my life now and kind of be like really like you sit yeah. at home with your dog and boyfriend and takeout and Netflix and you think that's like a great night, but it truly, truly is something I love, adore, I don't take for granted. And it happens, I mean, in COVID, it's happened for nine months straight and I still <laughs> look forward to it and I don't want it to be different. And I mean, I think if I were to look back at my old self, like, and be able to tell myself advice, it'd be like, you're lost now and it's okay. And you will get back on track and you will find yourself and you will love yourself. You're so sweet. <laughs> my heart. <laughs> um, yeah. What about you, Janera? I don't know. It feels like a mini meeting. Um, oh, for sure. Definitely count oh, yeah, this as a meeting. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, I'm going to get two today. <laughs> I'm my sober chair right here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like what you said about um, like just this simple like loving yourself and you deserve to feel good mm-hmm. and you deserve to feel like I really I echo that a lot because I think if I could go back to a year ago I would just be like listen like shit's about to get really rough <laughs> but like you like, but what you what I found is so much better and I do think that uh what this quarantine like COVID is such a a blessing and a curse like because we can do stuff like we could talk like we wouldn't be able to talk right now if you know we wouldn't have met and it's just like um i have still not met either of you in real life i met you once once. once. tell me but like this is the thing with people i am like closest to in quarantine sober time i have not been able to be in a real life room with and that blows my mind because you're my family I was going to say, but I've told you things and I know you and you know yeah. me better than 
a lot of people yep. in my life. Yeah, hands down. The it's beauty wild. of it, because I think recovery teaches us this vulnerability and it teaches us this uh, rigorous honesty and like no matter what like I have mm-hmm. like poured out my heart to both of you <laughs> like weird just like mm-hmm. times and it's always like loved and it's always like reciprocal and it's just like lovely so I I've what I found I found like real love like I found like this reciprocal I like the definition of love like we just want to evolve and like let's work and like do partnership and like just solve problems together and I think that's really what I found in recovery like among like my friends but like mostly like within my damn self like it's just been really really rewarding and I wouldn't trade it for the whole world Mm -hmm. like nothing so it's good (laughs) I think how bizarre you guys like I think a lot about like our meetings and recovery and like there's really not much in life like in work yes you might love it but you're doing it to get a paycheck and like I just feel like there's always like an agenda and mm-hmm. then in recovery it's like the one place where like people just want to help and just want you to be better unconditionally no agenda like there's no necessarily benefit to them mm-hmm. and like I often think about how lucky we are that we're addicts, that we get to have like this at our fingertips. Yeah. Addicts are the lucky ones. Yeah. Absolutely. We have a reason to be in the room. We agree wholeheartedly. Our agenda is yeah. love. <laughs> yeah. well. My agenda is just like helping another person and just like talking in love. And like, even like this, it's just like, I just want to. I want to talk shit with my friends for an hour once a week. Like, can I do that? <laughs> can we have this? Uh, so I think it's. Right. Well, it's all a part of our healing, right? Like anytime that we're in service to someone else, anytime we show up to a meeting, like it's all a part of healing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, I love you. I love you. Rachel is coming to Chicago in the summer. Rachel is a person that's important to me in the summer. And I, so I'll probably come back to Chicago in the summer, mostly. Then, so we'll be able to to link up I miss amazing I miss hug I, miss I just want to hug everyone. I know I really hope this this quarantine on one hand I just need it to open so I'm not scared all the time because like I'm vaccinated but not everyone is so it's a whole thing mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. yes I am too yes so you guys want to come meet my baby oh my god I have her <laughs> you mean the baby that our that our family is having? yeah our families have, our <laughs> like that's what it is like I feel like our sober fam is having a baby family gets two babies this year I know how crazy my sponsor was like I'm having a baby and then one week later I'm like me too I'm so excited um that is so amazing oh my gosh I'm just love so much love uh is there anything you guys would like to add before we end or things you'd like to say or you boop 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 no, I just really loved how there was like so much recovery stuff weaved in unintentionally. <laughs> like, you know, there's just like phrases and words and it's just like, this shit is real. Like, I know it can be really corny sometimes and it's like, you know, all the sayings, but like without even trying so much of that was relevant yeah. here. Because we really do live in I, recovery. Yeah. No, I was going to echo that exact same thing. It's, it's a part. It's a part of who we are. Like it's a. It's a pillar of who I am, and I love that we all share that together. Well, 
Um, you're so sweet. It makes it, it makes thank you so much, yeah, thank Tamara. You for coming on. This is I'm awesome. really excited. I uh, thank it. you for coming on and talking to me about like such a good, such a raw, important topic, especially as women. Mm-hmm. Like I think, especially as women, it's just like such a yeah. Like because we're conditioned to be like you're supposed to get married and like have children and like and this is like all you have to do. Mm-hmm. But it's also like maybe I can grow a little bit. <laughs> maybe I can be a whole person. Well, I do, I do really just want to say to like both of you specifically, like Janari said it at the top of just how important you both have been to my individual recovery journey. And like, especially the topic that we're, that we've been discussing today, like I have had some of the most important and like deepest conversations about our relationship with ourselves and our relationships in our lives. And, and you both have been such incredible sounding boards and it's such a gift to like, to have these like adjacent recovery journeys where we get to walk together and reflect together. And um, basically, can we do this every Sunday? <laughs> oh, wait, we do. Right. We have a meeting on Sunday. The 420, but, like, the yeah. meeting, roll up. <laughs> roll up. It's also like always weird because I don't want this to be like affiliated with the particular fellowship because I'm afraid of getting sued. Yet all the time, I'm just like, but then there's this step. <laughs> so it's, it's rough. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for creating this. Yes. Week. Have fun, be safe yourself, mm-hmm. make your choices, don't do drugs. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Don't do them no matter what. Um, yeah, that's that's all that's all I got. Thank you, Tanara. Thanks, Tanara. Love you. Love yeah. you. Love you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Girls Who Smoke is an inclusive podcast about recovery and centers around marijuana addiction, but is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any specific recovery program over another. All recovery is our own, and we take it one day at a time. Opinions are of the speakers and of the speakers alone. Our work is done by Meg Palmer, and the intro was created by a group called Back to Bed. If you or someone you know struggles with marijuana abuse, please reach out to a recovery professional. The opposite of addiction is connection. So if you do struggle, please, please, please do not hesitate to reach out.